This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hello. 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 My name, name is... is... Hello. Hello. My, My name, name is... is... Sarah. Michael. Angela. Taylor. Brian. Jessica. Hello. My name is... Husband. Teenager. Mother. Daughter. Grandfather. Friend. Hello, I am employee, provider, homemaker, homeowner, laborer, theologian, sales rep, coach. Hello, my name is leader, risk taker, procrastinator, achiever, dreamer. My name is hopeful, driven, full of potential, worried, overworked. My name is... Top of my game. Life of the party. Father of the year. I am... Stabilizer. CEO. Success story. I am called... Overbearing. Reliable. Trying too hard. Guileless. Out of touch. I call myself... Overbearing. Mediocre. Barely there. When nobody's around, I call myself... Liar. Easy. Addicted. Cheater. Wasted. Hiding. Sinking. Hello, my name is... The One. With the answers. The One. With the messed up family. The One. With the kid in rehab. My name is The One with the track marks. The one. Who left. The one. Without friends. The one. Without a future. The one with a secret. The one with the scars. The one with the past. Hello. Hello. My name is... Ashamed. Broken. Dirty. Heartbroken. Selfish. Worthless. Embarrassed. Guilty. Hello. My name is Guilty. Hello. My name is Guilty. Hello. My name is Guilty. It's amazing sometimes the difference between what we look like on the outside and what we look like on the inside, isn't it? Ever wonder which of those voices you listen to? We probably all listen to both. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the whole concept of dreams and visions for life. We're in the middle of a sermon series called T-700, and for those of you who are just joining us for the first time this morning. It's called T-700 because the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying this morning was actually written 700 years before Jesus was born, 
before he lived and before he died, and yet it contains with amazing accuracy very, very specific fulfillments of what his life, of predictions of what his life would be like. Now, talk to you a little bit about human nature. When we're born, God puts certain things in our human nature that are just necessary for life. And one of those is the concept of hope and vision and dreams for the future. Who doesn't love to watch a little kid and you say to him, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. Right? Every kid wanted to be a Every boy wants to be a fireman at some point, right? I remember wanting to be a garbage man once. It'd say I wasn't aiming real high in life. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Back in my day, garbage men rode on the back of the truck, right? And that was like way cool. They got to pull a lever and smash all that stuff. And I just couldn't imagine. That was just like the ultimate in life right there. Wouldn't love to ride on a truck with no seatbelt and smash stuff. So, yeah. So those dreams and visions that God gives that keep us looking toward the future and looking ahead. But you know, it isn't very long until we hit a bump in the road and we realize as much as I wanted to be a trash collector, I might not make that dream. You know, whatever the dream might be, the dream begins to fade and the dream begins to die. Well, here's what I want you to know. That what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is not based on a philosophy. I know the world is filled with them. You can go down to your local bookstore and you can buy all sorts of self-help books. And you can read through those books and you can try all the self-help formulas that, that you can find in any book. And you can just think, oh, this is great. I'm going to make something of my life. And, and philosophy is okay as long as you understand it's just philosophy. It's somebody's best guess based upon observation of other people and maybe some self-observation. It's somebody's best guess about how life works. But I want to share with you this morning that better than pinning your hopes and your dreams and your life on somebody's philosophy, you're way better off if you will pin your hopes and your dreams and your life on the revealed truth of God. I hope that resonates with you. I, I want to build my... I, you know what's the worst thing you can ever hear at the dentist's office? You know what it is? It's not you need a root canal. It's not that. The worst thing you can ever hear is oops. <laughs> right? That's something you don't want to hear at the dentist's office, all right? I can... Or the doctor's office or yeah, almost any of those places. Well, I can tell you this. The world is filled with philosophers who at the end of their life have said, oops. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. Okay? I I want you this morning to pin your hopes and your dreams on a God who never says oops because he never has to. It's true. It's his truth. It's his word. Now, before I get in and teach you the rest of it, let me introduce myself. My name is Ron. I want, to, I want to give all of you a very special welcome here this morning. I know many of you were here on Friday night, and uh, you're probably still just kind of walking on clouds after Friday night. Um, for those of you who didn't make it, 
I want you right now to get your calendar out and just reserve Good Friday, 2010. Because um, I can tell you Friday night, probably the most moving uh, service I've ever been in in my entire life. Uh, powerful, powerful time. So wonderful. And so I just want to invite you right now. Reserve Good Friday. We had almost a thousand people in this building on Friday night. It was truly an amazing time. So, but welcome this morning. We have quite a thousand here this morning. Um, but uh, we're going to have several hundred people here over two services. And you know something? The same God who was so real and so present on Friday night is just as real and just as present this morning. So I want to welcome you to church. I want to welcome you and say Happy Easter to all of you. And uh, I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to meet you before you leave. Now on the inside of your program, you're going to find a half sheet of fill-in-the-blank notes. I want to encourage you to take those out right now and make your way through those as we work our way through what I'm going to say to you. Now, think about this with me for just a minute, if you would. What do you do when your dream in life dies? We all experience that, okay? Um, People in the skit. When they started out talking, it was all about kind of who, who they were on the outside and how people knew them and what they really wanted to be. And, and I was thinking about the guy who was standing over here uh, you know, to your left. And, and one of the things he said was, Father of the year. Yeah. We all start out in life. I want to be the most outstanding father. I want to be an outstanding husband. I want to be successful at work. I, I, I want to be not necessarily successful in terms of riches, although most of us would take that if it came our way, right? Yeah, you're, you're a church. You don't want to admit to that, but that is really true. I know you would, okay? Yeah. We want to do all that stuff. But what do you do when reality starts to set in and you realize you're never going to be the father of the year? In fact, you're struggling just to be a decent father. And you're never going to be husband of the year. You're struggling just to be a decent husband because, you know, it's a little tougher than you thought. We go along in life and we do what I call, we come to a fork in the road. Okay? And that fork in the road is actually going to leave us three options in life. And those are what I want to talk to you about for just a few minutes. What do you do when your dream dies? Well, I'll tell you what option number one is. And that is, some people choose to live without a dream. There are people sitting in our audience today who are living without a dream. You're convinced that this is as good as it's going to get in life. You weren't born to be one of the lucky ones. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You're never going to inherit a a big inheritance from your family. And you feel like the genes that you got passed down through your family pool kind of came out of the bottom side of the gene pool. And this is it for you. This is as good as it gets. Now, it's easier to see this when we look out on the streets and we see people living homelessly and we, and, we, and we think, oh my goodness, they have chosen to live without a dream. Thank God I'm not like that. But friends, there are a lot of people living in three-bedroom, two-bath homes that are living without a dream. There are people sitting right here today 
who are battling addiction. And some of you have just given up battling addiction. You just decided to live with it. People right here who struggle with anger and temper and you've just decided, that's it. This is me. This is who I am. Stand clear when I get angry because it's going to happen. And you've long ago given up the dream of being a really decent person who doesn't just beat up on the people around them, either verbally or emotionally or maybe even physically. Well, there's another option in life. And that option could best be summed up by the word image. You know, when I give up on my dream and I realize my dream isn't going to happen, at least I can look good to everybody else, right? So I'll go get my three-bedroom, two-bath home and I'll fix it up and, and I'll go out and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll mortgage myself to the hilt and I'll get, uh, you know, a nice car because it, what good is it to have a nice house if you have a, if you have a junker parked out in front of it, Right? So I get a nice house, I get a nice car, I go out and get a nice lawnmower because the lawn need to, needs to look good, not necessarily for me, but for everybody else who sees me. And we begin to work on our image. Now, this is a little easier to see in other people. And none of us would say, by the way, if you have a cell phone, how about putting it on vibrate? That's probably a good idea. All right, now, back to the subject at hand. This is far easier to do than you think. And this is very, very, very natural to the human spirit. You could see it in the drama. Who am I? Hello, my name is. And guess who I am? I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. I do, I do these things. I'm known as this. People call me this. I call myself this. And it was all good stuff. But I want you to notice that about two-thirds of the way through that drama, there was a very, very key phrase. It said, when I'm by myself. You know the problem with this? I forget who said it. It might have been Casey Stengel. It might have been Yogi Berra. But one of them said, you know, wherever I go, there I am. That's the real problem with image. No matter where you go, it's still you. When you're by yourself, it's still you. And that's when you have to face the voice of truth, not the voice of image. And when you face the voice of truth, and the voice of truth is one thing and the voice of image is another thing, when you're by yourself and you face the voice of truth, it's tough. It's really hard. But fortunately, there is a third option in life, okay? And that is, I can go to God for transformation. I can say, okay, God, here's who I am. You know, there's a lot about me I like, but there's a lot about me I don't like. And the problem is, I've done everything I can to try to improve myself. But no matter how hard I work at improving myself, the problem is, I'm still me. I still struggle. That's the option I'm going to talk to you about today. Because in your notes, I want you to circle and underline the word transformation. Because that's God's agenda for you in this life. And for me in this life. And that's the real message of Easter. And not just of Easter. It's the real message of Jesus Christ that we want you to tie into every Sunday.
every day of your life, every week of your life. Because while this is natural to the human spirit, this is not. This you can do by yourself, but the problem is it's only as good as you can do it. This you cannot do by yourself. It means trusting a God, and most of us find trust at least a significant challenge, if not a great challenge. So I want to encourage you along those lines because God says, I'm going to make my transformation available to all. So quickly, let me give you three simple steps Not necessarily easy to live out, but three simple steps to the fulfillment of a dream. And I'm going to say them to you, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat them back to me. Okay? And here they are. Birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural fulfillment. Would you say those out loud with me, please? Ready? Let's say it. Ready? Birth of a vision, death of a vision, supernatural fulfillment. You see... All of us are going to go through that many, many times in life. At least step one and step two. Step three is really our choice. Let me me read you a verse and then give you an illustration. Isaiah, just a couple of of chapters later, we're, we're going to be studying Isaiah 53 this morning. But in Isaiah 55, here's what God said to Isaiah. He said, Isaiah, write this down. My thoughts are nothing like yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I put it like this. Thank you, Vanna. Okay, here we go. God's supernatural fulfillment always... And I had you write in always because I want you to know there are no exceptions to this. God's supernatural fulfillment always has his fingerprint on it somewhere. Let's take the life of Jesus, okay? And and let's take it through the perspective of his mother. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and if you've ever heard the Christmas story, and most of you, maybe all of you have, the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, You are going to have a child, and the child that's going to be born in you is not going to be conceived by any man, but the Holy Spirit's going to come over you, and even though you're a virgin, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Wow. That's the birth of a vision, wouldn't you say? Huge vision. And sure enough, Mary is pregnant, Mary gives birth, the angels sing, the shepherds come, the magi comes, and, and it's just, oh my goodness, this is Jesus, and they call him Jesus because it means he, Savior. He will save his people from their sins. And the angel also said, it'll be like Emmanuel. God will be with us through this baby you're going to give birth to. And everything is great, and Jesus is growing up, and at 12 years of age, he astounds the teachers in the temple. And Mary is thinking, this is just great. The vision that God gave me, it's coming to pass. And Jesus begins his ministry, and the first thing that happens in his ministry is he's baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is the Son whom I love. And it, with whom I am well pleased. And, and, and it's just an amazing thing. And, and then 
Mary takes Jesus to a wedding feast and they run out of wine. And she says, hey, Jesus, can you do something about this? And he turns water into wine and everybody goes, oh, my goodness. This is wonderful. And Jesus begins to heal people and he begins to teach people and the crowds begin to flock to him and they want to make him king. And Mary is thinking, oh my goodness, this vision that God has given me, it's coming to pass in my life. How wonderful, how terrific it is. And and the whole thing builds to this great crescendo that takes place during the final week of Jesus' life. And there at 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 the summit of the Mount of Olives, the people begin to put their coats down in the road and they they take palm branches and they wave them before him and they and they shout what we sang earlier this morning hosanna hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord they're ready to make him king he enters the temple and there's this giant worship service that takes place it's absolutely tremendous and mary thinks can it get any better than this it's the fulfillment of the dream that god gave me Well, friends, five days later. Same crowd. And they're screaming, crucify him. Crucify him. Take him away. It's not fit that somebody like that should live. And a few hours later, Mary finds herself walking behind her son who's carrying his cross. And she thinks at any moment now, God's going to rescue. At any moment now, that dream that the angel gave me, it can't die. It was a God-given dream. But when Jesus bows his head and he's done, the dream is officially dead. There is no way that that dream in Mary's mind can ever live again. That's done. When people die, they what? They're dead. That's it. Hmm. Well, you and I know what happened. What happened? Three days later. Look at the title of this message. What is it? The dream, what? Lives again. Yeah. You see, whenever God fulfills a dream, it always has His supernatural fingerprints on it somewhere. And friends, same thing is going to happen in your life and mine. I could give you story after story after story, real life story of people sitting right here in this room who have experienced that life transformation when they came to the fork in the road when their dream died they decided they would not live without a dream and they decided that they would not focus on image and pretend that they were alive even though inwardly they were dead and or dying but they brought their life to god and said god would you do something supernatural in my life and he is now Very quickly, I want to walk you through this passage of Scripture that we came to talk about today. 
It's not going to need a lot of explanation because it's a prophecy about Jesus. And you all, you know, this is a little bit like going to see the film Titanic, right? A good friend of mine said, I don't go see it. The ship goes down in the end. It's like you didn't know that on the way in, right? Everybody knew that. So you already know the end of the story of Jesus' life. But I want you to see the prophecy and I want you to see its application in your life and mine. And here it is. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. I want you to underline the words long life. Okay? And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Underline the word satisfied. And because of this experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many. I want you to underline the words, will make it possible for many to be made righteous. For he will bear all their sins. And I will give him the honors, underline the word honors, of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. That would be you and me. Now, quickly, I just want to touch on the four words or phrases that I had you underline as we read through that. And the first word or phrase is this, long life. Isaiah wants you and I to know, God revealed to Isaiah, make sure the people know that this dream will end in life, it will not end in death. And sure enough, for Jesus, even though the day that he was crucified, everyone standing around him thought the dream would end in death, and when they saw him bow his head and take his last breath, they thought they were right, the dream ended in death. How tragic. And yet Jesus had said, and I love the way the old preacher said it, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. This dream is not going to end in death. It's going to end in life. The second thing that Isaiah prophesied about Jesus concerning his death is this word satisfied. The dream will not, it's going to end in satisfaction. It's not going to end in disappointment. You know, on the cross, when Jesus had his arms stretched out, he said seven things, but the next to the last one was really, really, really powerful. He said, it is finished. Wow. Everything that Jesus came to do, it was all done. You know what he was saying? Eternity is now completely ready. Whatever was lacking for the redemption of man, whatever was lacking for our forgiveness, whatever was lacking for our transformation, Jesus is saying what I'm doing right here, right now, in giving my life, it's all done now. There's nothing left but the shouting, but the celebration. It's all done. It's finished. You know, reminded me of the words that God said every day during creation. At the end of each day, it's like God stepped back and he surveyed everything that he had made. And if you read Genesis chapter 1, you know, 
he, he summarized it with three words. It is, what's the last word? Good. When Jesus said, it's finished, he said, it's good. He was satisfied. The third phrase is this. We'll make it possible for many. Isaiah wants us to know that this dream will end in blessing shared, not a blessing hoarded. That Jesus didn't come to impress human beings. He came to save them. Jesus didn't come so everyone would go, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you are so wonderful. We are so blessed that you came to live. Oh, that's true. But Jesus didn't say, Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That time you caught on. See you later. No. You know, he didn't just sign a few autographs and disappear into the clubhouse. Got it? He came to save us. He came to say, I didn't just come to take humans to heaven. I came to bring heaven to earth. Wow. The dream will end in a blessing shared, not hoarded. And the fourth one is this, the word honors. The dream will end in honor and not shame. You know, the day that Jesus hung on the cross and people were yelling at him and the blood was running down his body. And I don't know if you've ever ministered to someone where the blood was running out of them, but that's an icky, icky scene, right? There's something about the human spirit that's completely revolted by that kind of stuff. And as Jesus hung on the cross and the blood was running down him and the crown of thorns was on his head and people were laughing at him and they were spitting on him and they were accusing him and they were making fun of him. It was like the ultimate in shame because he was stripped of all of his clothes. He was stripped of all of his dignity. He was stripped of every vestige of human kindness and honor that anyone could receive. And those who knew him best fled because they were ashamed of what what was happening. No one standing at the foot of the cross looked up and said, Now there's a man who's getting ready for honor. It was all shame. But Isaiah wanted us to know, God wanted us to know, the dream doesn't end with shame. The dream ends with what? Honor. Now, how about the name of Jesus today? Is it okay? It's synonymous with honor and virtue and integrity and love and kindness. So now let's take those four things and let's apply them to ourselves as we close. You know what God's promise to you is? That the dream of your life will not end in death. It will end in long life. Not just long life on this earth. It will end in eternal life. That's what Jesus came to bring. And though if Jesus doesn't return during our lifetime, though all of us at some point will be on our deathbed or in a car wreck or some other place, and our life will leave us. 
He wants us to know the dream doesn't end in death. What does it end in? It ends in life. Second thing. Jesus says, if you'll come and you bring me your life, I will guarantee you that at the end of your life, when you look back across it, you will be able to say, it is good. Now, if you live your life to entertain yourself, and you live your life to indulge yourself, at the end of your life, trust me, you will be filled with regret. But if you will dare to follow Christ and give your life away in service to other people, you will stand at the end of your life and you will say, I'm so glad I gave my life away. Look what God did through me. It is good. I'm so satisfied with my life. And that leads to number three will make it possible for many. I just want to ask you one question. As you look at your life, how would you complete that? My life will make it possible for many to... What comes next? To envy me? Yeah, that's pretty hollow. My life will make it possible for many to... And if you don't know how to fill in that blank, I want to challenge you this morning to give your life to Christ because all of the followers of Jesus can write a great answer to the end of that phrase. And it's different for every follower of Christ. That's what He wants to do in your life. And then last of all, that word honor... It's God's purpose for you. Once you follow Christ, the Bible says that when Jesus comes again, He will take you into glory. Does that sound pretty good? Yeah, there's nothing about shame and glory. It's wonderful to be the follower of Christ, to be the son or the daughter of the God of heaven. I want to read you a verse as we close. And it would be God's message to us. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so much that even though we were dead, the dream was officially dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you are saved. I am called child. I am called precious. I am called beloved. I am called chosen. Hello. 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 My My name name is is forgiven. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.